All right, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you for the privilege we have of, of digging a little bit into your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for writing the book, and we ask you to teach it to us. Lord, we ask you to be the one that, that talks tonight, and, and you be the one who brings revelation to our spirits. Lord, I know this, <clears throat> that you want to bring revelation to your people. That's your desire. Lord, your word promises that, 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 that you will bring to us and freely give us the things that God has, has brought to us. The world can't see it, but we'll be able to see what you call us to see. I pray tonight for revelation, that we see something that maybe we haven't seen before, or maybe we see something we've seen before, but it needs to be brought back into focus. So, Father, tonight we thank you and we honor you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we just make Christianity too complicated. Amen to that. I mean, we're going to start a new year, but we're going to start and we're going to not make it complicated. I heard I heard a story of a, of a girl who called her friend and she said, "Please, can you come over and help me? I have an awesome jigsaw puzzle and I can't figure out how to start it." So the friend said, "What's it a puzzle of?" And she said, "Well." From the picture on the box, it's a tiger. I just need some help. And so the friend thought, well, I'm okay. I'm pretty good at puzzles, so I'll just go over and help her. So she went to her house. The friend let her in the door, showed her the puzzle. It was spread all over the table. The friend studied the pieces of the puzzle for a moment, studied the box for a moment, and then she looked at her friend and she says, first of all, no matter what I do, I'm not going to be able to show you, to show you how to assemble these pieces to look like a picture of, of a tiger. Second, I'm going to advise you to relax, have a cup of coffee, and put all those frosted flakes back in the box. <laughs> we have this idea that Christianity is very, very complicated. I mean, if you've been in church as long as I have, you know there are, some churches have rules that nobody else knows about. I mean, you sit in the wrong seat and somebody says, that's the wrong seat. And uh, Mrs. So-and-so sits there. Or it's usually Mrs. So-and-so says, I sit there. Get up. And so it, it just complicated, all kinds of things. But let me read you this verse of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity of that is in Christ. He said it's simple. Many Christians, and I would probably say most Christians, miss the obvious. It is all about Jesus. That's what it's about. Christianity is about the Christ. The word simplicity here literally means singleness. Christianity gets complicated when we are no longer single. It was easy for Adam and Eve as long as it was single. And when that snake came up and gave them a second choice, and he said, hath God said, it got complicated. If you and I will be people who will take the word of God and decide whatever it says, that's what I'm going to do, that's what I'm going to have, it's no longer complicated. When the devil comes and says, wait a minute, did God say, it's time to say, yes, he said, and you get out. 
make a decision so it's not complicated. Listen, life is already complicated. I mean, it's complicated just navigating 82nd Street in the morning. It's not complicated to follow Jesus. As long as we are single-minded, single-hearted, and we stay with Him, it's not that complicated. I mean, some people just don't, don't get it. I read the other day that, that, that this is a statement that was issued from the, from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Your tax dollars pay for this. They paid $88,000 for a study. And this is what they came up with. Most snowboarding injuries result from falling. $88,000 to figure that one out. It simply is not that complicated. It's time. This, I love the first part of the year. It's time to refocus. It's time to get our focus on the right thing, not the wrong thing. Let's focus right now on what it's about. Let's focus on Jesus. What is... Wouldn't it have been wonderful to walk with Him and when He walked the earth? The reality is we can walk with Him now. By the Spirit, we can walk with Him. We have a relationship with Him. I mean, we need to have a vision of walking with Him. So I'm going I'm to read you a passage of Scripture. And this isn't the main text I'm going to read, but I think I just want to start off here. Sometimes we get so busy that we forget what's important. We forget it. The Apostle said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, For... I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night which he was betrayed, took bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the context here, of course, is the Lord's Supper. The context is talking about when we we drink the wine and we we eat the bread. But I'm telling you, I think we've lost some focus. Two times in that passage of Scripture, what did he say? Remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. Our world is just, it's hard to focus. I mean, you walk in any restaurant in town tonight, and you're going to find... Many people are sitting there with the person they supposedly love the most, and each one of them has their phone. And they're reading something, whoever, who knows what it is. You know, Tammy pulls out her phone a lot at dinner, but that's just to prove me wrong because she gets on there and says, no, it says this. But people aren't focused on what's important. We went to a department store one time. This is some time ago. We walk in there. It's a big department store. There are employees here and there. One's counting the stuff. One's straightening this, folding that. We walked in. We needed some help. And we obviously needed help. And we're looking for help. Everyone was focused on something besides the customer that just walked in the door. If you've ever been, if you've ever sold anything, you understand the customer is the most important thing in front of you right now. And you put everything away so you can help the customer. We were there for a long time, and I finally said to her, do you think we ought to shoot up a flare, and maybe somebody will come and help us? Because they just didn't have any focus. You see, we need to understand, it's by faith that we can grasp on to what is most important, and that is, you and I need to be hungry for Jesus. We need to have a passion for Him. I mean, He is the most important entity ever on this planet, Jesus. 
One night when our son Connor, he's, I don't know, he's almost 30 now, but he was a little guy in those days, maybe three or four, we were going to go and visit some people. In our church, we had this family. Their names were Roger and Jana King. And so we got in the car, and Connor said, where are we going? And we said, we're going to the king's house. He got so excited. I mean, he says, yes, 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 we're going to the king's house. Yes, yes. And we pulled up in Roger and Jenna's driveway, and he said, this is Roger and Jenna's house. Well, their last name is King. He was excited because he thought we were going to the king's house. He thought we were getting ready to go and see Jesus. But we need to understand, what is important? What should our focus be on? Yes, when we're at work, we've got to focus on jobs. We have to focus on saving for the future. We have to focus on destiny. But those are not the most important things. Money isn't the most important thing. I mean, without Jesus, we have no future. We have no destiny. Without Him in focus, we, we won't, we'll never reach that destiny. We must focus on Him. We must focus on Him that we can, so we can do the main thing that He called us to do. For some reason, we're twice commanded to remember Him. Remember Jesus. Can the redeemed forget the Redeemer? Can, can, can those that are ransomed forget the one that ransomed them? Can those who have been loved by God's Son forget Him? Well, the answer is yes. Apparently, He told us to remember Him. We can't, we can't. See, we know that. In your own experience, there are times that you forget Him. I mean, have you ever been just walking through the mall and, and, and somebody's over here crying and you just are too busy to even stop and ask them if they need help? Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story that I'm not proud of. One day I was in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was getting ready to catch a plane back to Nashville, Tennessee. We passed through a church just across the border in Kentucky, and I'm at the airport. I'm taking a Southwest Airlines flight because that's the only way you get to those, to those two cities, and I'm waiting for the plane. As you know, on Southwest Airlines, you... you pick your own seat and wherever you find a seat you sit and so I had pre-boarding so I was going to get to go early and so I'm looking over and this girl is over here crying she's just crying and I said I said this I said no Lord not now I was tired I'd been there for 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 two days I've been helping this guy whose church was ripped apart by a tornado I was tired and I said no Lord not now let somebody else help this girl and about that time, they said, Group 1, you can get up and get on the plane. And I mean, I got up and shot on that airplane. Got in my seat, and I'm sitting there. I thought, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord, I didn't have to help her. People kept coming on the plane. They kept coming on the plane. That girl was the last person on the airplane. There was one seat available. And it was right next to me. So guess what? The Lord said, you may not have wanted to do this, but I want you to help that girl. And so I helped her and we prayed and we did what we were supposed to do. Not every time, though, does the Lord do that for you. Sometimes you'll just forget. You'll see the need. He'll try to tug your spirit and tell you to do something, but you've forgotten about Him. You've forgotten about what we're here to do, what, what, what it's about. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we, get, we get encumbered by the predictability and the confusion of life to even listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever gone through a whole day and he never spoke to you? Don't lie to me. I know you have. Because we get so busy to do the things. Forget about Jesus. We, we don't need to forget him. We need to be in remembrance of him. You know, about a week or so ago, Franco Harris died. Anybody know who Franco Harris was? 
Franco Harris played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I wish he'd played for somebody else, but he played for them. <laughs> he was very good. He's known mostly for a play that's called the Immaculate Reception. Man, he caught that pass, and it was unbelievable the way the pass was caught. I was booing him at that time, but when you watch it in reruns, it was, he, he really was phenomenal the way he caught the pass. But I'm thinking more people may know about the Immaculate Reception than the Immaculate Conception, the one that's really important. It was a time in my life when I knew the name of every National Football League team, I knew the name of their head coach, the name of their starting quarterback, the name of a running back, and probably two or three other members of the team, and I knew all the Dallas Cowboys. I knew all those. But at that time, I probably didn't even know the names of the 12 apostles. And you know, today I can name the apostles, but not all the coaches, not all the quarterbacks, and I'm happy about it. We can remember last year's Oscar winners, maybe. I don't know if I don't. I don't know who they were anyway. But sometimes we, we know all these things, but sometimes we forget to read our Bible. Or we forget to pray or forget to thank Him for all the wonderful things He's done in our lives. I mean, many of us get busy like Martha of the Bible when we need to be like Mary, who found what was the good thing and set at Jesus' feet. We need to find out what's important. I mean, we know that there are all these weeds in life that grow up from the, 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 the seeds of, 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 of the cares of life. And we forget about the rose of Sharon that wants to bring us peace. We need to begin to think, to, 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 to think about him, begin to focus on him this year. Why, do we, why would we forget him? Mostly because we still think in carnal ways. We need to get our minds renewed. We need to listen listen to the word and push out the world sometimes and it's hard sometimes to do that because you want to know what's going on in the world but we need to at least give the word as much time as we give the world i mean the world is closer to us and anything that's close to us and attracts us and and and, and influences us kind of like the sun is way bigger than the moon the moon is closer to us so the moon influences the tide and not the sun we have to recognize we've got to bring Jesus close. If we draw near to him, he draws near to us, and it changes the way things are. We've got to be aware and turn toward him, pull ourselves toward him. Now, I don't know if any of you have heard any prophets speak about the year 2023. Anybody listen to prophets? Well, you're probably better off that way. Well, Y'all heard something. Okay. There are some prophets out there that are saying 2023 is going to be the best year ever. And I mean, it's going to be great. You're going to have all this abundance. All these things are going to happen. And then other prophets are saying, 2023 is going to be the worst year ever, and you better get ready. If you don't have your bunker built, build it now. And get your year's worth of food in there so you'll be ready. That doesn't sound very Christian-like to me. But anyway, that's what they're talking about. That. Well, can I just tell you, I, here, here's a word that I heard. This is about 2023. It's a word by a man by the name of Rick Renner. Anybody heard of Rick Renner? Rick is a pastor in Russia, in Moscow. And he's an American, but he's a pastor there. This is, his, this is the word that the Lord gave him for 2023. One sentence. The year 2023 will be filled with divine surprises, divine provision, and divine revelation. And how I wish there was a period there because it'd be over, right? But that isn't the end of it. For those who will receive it. How do we receive from God? We've got to believe what He said. We've got to make sure that lines up with the Word of God. And then we can believe and receive it. 
But I think if you heard a prophet that said it was going to be great for you, but you heard another prophet say it was going to be bad for people, I think they were both right. Because Rick Renner said that, and I believe if we can receive what God promises us, we can, we can have what he said. But 2 Timothy 3.13 describes what's going to happen to the world. Here's what it says. This, is, this isn't prophetic. This is the word. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2023, I believe, is going to be a year where they're going to get worse. And if we believe God, we're going to be better. I did not say it's going to be easy, did I? I didn't say everything that you want, you're going to get this year. If you got everything you want this year, then why be around for the next year? We've got stuff to do. There's a world to win, but it's going to get worse for the world. All right? We, but we must believe what God said. Every promise in the Scripture, every promise given to us prophetically is conditional. Did you hear the, the prophecy by Rick Renner? He said, super, he said, divine surprises, divine provision, divine revelation, the condition, for those who will receive it. It's not just for those who hear these words, those who will receive it. Salvation comes to those who will believe it and make a confession of faith. There's a condition. There's always a condition in the promise. I believe this year is a year that the church, and I don't know what I'm talking about when I say the church. I'm not talking about the big corporate show. I'm talking about the church. In 2023, we're being invited to return to our first love. We're being invited to be hot or cold and make a difference where we are. We taught where that passage came from about the church of Laodicea, that they were not hot or cold. He said, I'll spew you out of my mouth. When they built the, they built the pipe from, from Laodicea to one city, another pipe from, to another to the mountain, the mountain city to bring down cold water, to this one in the plains to bring in hot water. So they, could have, they had uh, hot baths, hot springs there, and they were going to pipe those in to their city. And after, that, after the water traveled miles down off the mountain, it got lukewarm. After the hot water came miles from the, from the hot springs, it got lukewarm. And somebody was going to have a taste of that cold, fresh water from the mountains. And they took a sip and they spit it out because it wasn't what it was supposed to be. That's what Jesus thinks about when we're ineffective and we're not sold out and in love with him. We need, we need, we need to be hot or cold, refreshing or healing. We need to be in love with him. We need to have our hearts turned after Him. And I believe God's won that once again, that we do that. We must be hungry, hungry for Him. I believe when the church returns to Him, revival comes to the church. You understand what's called revival, right? Revive. Revival is the first time. Revival is when it happens again. Jesus wants to visit the church, and He wants to come in. He wants to manifest himself. He wants to manifest the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in the church. By the way, this is the church right here. He wants to manifest himself supernaturally in this group of people in his church. Now, here's the deal. We must be hungry for him, not the miraculous. The miraculous is the byproduct of being hungry for Him. Once there's a supernatural release of power, now all of a sudden, there's this verification that the Jesus 
of the Bible is alive. And that's what the world needs to see. Understand, the Muslims have their black book. Every religion in the world has their black book. The only thing that will distinguish us from all those others is that Jesus is alive and he will still do what he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That dis distinguishes us from the rest of the world, from all the religions of the world. I mean, I'm telling you, there's only one book in the Library of Congress that's alive, and it's the Bible. Amen. And that, people need to see that Jesus. I tell you, people want that more than they want all the falsity that's out there. There's so many things going on in the world. People are lying left and right. But I'm going to tell you something. When a miracle comes, they don't, they don't listen for lies. They see truth. Ooh, isn't that good? Wouldn't that, do we want that? I think we do. I think everyone in this room wants that. We want to see that. Christianity is about a relationship with God. And we understand it's all about relation. All the religions of the world have their gods and their job is to live so they can placate this angry God. Christianity is not about that. It's about our being adopted into the family of God. We're not trying to get there. We already are the sons and the daughters of God. Inside of each one of us right this minute, according to Scripture, is the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father. That ought to be, that's the cry of our heart. It's, we've been adopted. The Bible says we have a spirit of adoption. We've been adopted according to the good pleasure of His will. We are His children. As children, we must always pursue Him and seek Him because He's our Father, not because He's some tyrannical supreme being that wants to squash us. We want Him. We want Jesus. We want the Father. And we have this relationship with Him. The only way we know all this stuff is from the Word of God. The Bible contains the promises. When we approach God on the terms of His promise, you know what His answer is? Yes. If I come to Him and say, Father, Your Word says this. I believe You want that to be in my life. He says, yes, sir. Yes. Because the Scripture says, for all the promises of God in Him, speaking of Jesus, are yes and amen by You. He says yes. We say amen. What does amen mean? Well, you know what it means. If you're raised Baptist, it means so be it. It literally means so be it to me. I now stake claim on this because, Father, it's your will. You said I could have it. I take it. It's for me. It's for my family. But I've got to know the promise. If I'm going to claim one of them, I need to know them. I know Christians say, well, you know, I'm just going to say, I say amen to all of them right now. Well, you can only say amen to the ones you know about. Unfortunately, we got to know what it is. We got to get it. Okay, so now here's my real passage of scripture. Are you ready? John chapter 2. And you, you've heard this, but I'm going to read it anyway. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Now that sounds harsh, doesn't it? I believe if I'd said it to my mom, she'd have smacked me one. What have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. If you think that really, you don't understand the passage. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. 
And there were six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two to three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Those are some brave people. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not whence it was, but the servants that drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles of Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. This is an amazing story. And I know, as I say, you've read it or heard it somewhere. They run out of water at the wine. Jesus' mama comes and says they don't have any wine, and he makes water into wine. I mean, this was this first miracle that Jesus did in his ministry. Now, this is an interesting thought. If you were God, and you're not, and you were going to choose the first miracle, understand, a wedding is a party. They dance and they drink at the wedding, and then they listen uh, to the vows, and they stomp on the glass and all the stuff. But this is a party. If you're God, is that where you're putting your first miracle? If I'm God, I'm like, I'm going to take some guy, put him in the middle of town, he doesn't have any legs, and we're going to grow him out right now. And we're going to get us a following right here and right now. Obviously, I'm not God because I wouldn't, that's what I would have done. I mean, I would, th- I would think, at least calm a storm or, 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 or how about, yeah, raise a dead person. Okay, y'all come with me to the cemetery. Matthew, come up. You start calling people out of their graves. No, that's what God did. He did it at a wedding, a party. Now, here's, a, here's well, why would God do that? Well, I don't know. I figure it's because Jesus loved his mother is all I could figure. He just, he just wanted to do her a favor. So here, here he does. This is his first miracle. I'm going to deviate for just a moment. Every time I ever teach on this subject, people ask me this question. Did the wine contain alcohol? I know you're asking me the question. You, you, I can tell by from the look. Maybe you're not. I'm going to give you an answer. Probably. The word for wine used in the scripture and in Greek literature for both alcoholic and non-alcoholic juice from grapes is the same word. There's no difference between the two. The Bible refers to wine in the grape. Is there any alcohol in a grape? No, but the Bible calls it wine. So there's, there's, there's a wine that doesn't have any alcohol. It also talks about uh, wine in the press. They're, that's what taking the grapes, and they're pressing them. There's no alcohol in that either because it hadn't had time to ferment. So, so that would be non-alcoholic. So the question is, what do I think? Well, the governor of the feast said most people serve the good stuff first, and then after people are well drunk the phrase well drunk literally means drink to intoxication it means to drink until they felt something their taste buds aren't as accurate as they were at the beginning and so Jesus said that's what the governor said he said you know everybody does it that way but you serve the good stuff last so in my opinion it probably had some alcohol in it it probably Probably wasn't 15% like that wines are today. I mean, those days they were like 7 or 8% perhaps. But still, I believe it probably had some alcohol. If that bothers you, I'm sorry, but we can go back to the wine in the grape if you want to. I heard someone suggest one time that the 
party host may have served alcoholic wine, and then Jesus made non-alcoholic wine. <laughs> Give me a break. No one is going to no one's going to say, "Oh, this is better than that." It's not going to happen. That's not my sermon, but let me just remind you of this. The Bible says to give no place to the devil. And people have to understand that. If that's a place the devil can get in your life, do not give him a place. That's pretty good. The Bible says to, 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 to not cause our brethren to stumble by what we eat or what we drink. The Bible says to flee the appearance of evil. So our conduct is very important. I did not give you a license to do anything except follow the scripture wholeheartedly, 100%. Ooh, that's good. Praise God. Here's the point. The word for wine literally means wine in the Greek. That's what it means, wine. But it comes from a Hebrew word that means to effervesce. So now, just, now we just got a meeting. It means to effervesce. It means wine that's fermented. It means intoxication. So Jesus takes water and turns it into effervescence. The word effervescence means this, to emit small bubbles of gas as a carbonated or fermenting liquid. A liquid having bubbles. To appear and come out of a liquid in bubbles, to bubble forth. Here's the definition I like. To show high spirits, be lively or vivacious. Now, the Latin root of that word means to boil over. To boil over. So Jesus takes water and it makes it where it boils over. The dictionary says, the definition I like is to behave in a lively, high-spirited, or highly excited way. That's pretty good. Effervescence means it's the act of bubbling out of a liquid. It's the act of having sparkling high spirits, spontaneity, and liveliness. It's, it, it, it means, it means to, to, to be lively, vivacious, to show high spirits, to behave in a lively, high-spirited way, spontaneous, liveliness, excited. So Here's, just wants us to be one. Let me just, I'm going to tell you what it means. Jesus took... A tasteless liquid that has no smell. And he turned it into something that was vivacious, something that was lively, something that, that, that was bubbling, something that had energy. I'm going to tell you something. I've been to the water church before. And it was boring as eating a dry cracker at the desert. Jesus doesn't want the church to be that. He doesn't want my relationship with him to be boring and dull and mundane the same every single day. He took that which was mundane and he made it alive. He made it exciting. I mean, we need to draw near to him. That We sing the song in the Baptist church, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day. It doesn't mean there aren't bad days. There aren't hard days. There aren't tough days. But it ought to be exciting to be a Christian. You and I ought to be the happiest people on the planet. People who come in contact with us, they need to know. Not because we're trying to be religious. Not because we're trying to be weird. They need to know there's something alive on the inside of us that has to get its way out. Have you ever talked to Peggy outside of this Bible study? I'm going to tell you something. 
Everybody knows that she's a Christian wherever she goes because she just has the worst case of I can't help it. She has to talk about it. She has to talk about the, what the Lord is doing. She, I mean, that's the way. I'm not telling you we have to be like Peggy. I'm saying we need to be vivacious and lively, and we need to be people who are alive with the joy of God inside of us. The Bible says happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And if I have a connection with Him, I'm going to be happy today. Isn't that good? That's what we need to be. We need to be overflowing. That's what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to move, wants us to move from a life that's just surviving and sick all the time and in need all the time and poor me all the time to a life that is overflowing with, with this vivacity of the Spirit of God. That's what He wants. Something needs to happen in every Christian's life that causes them to bubble over, to bubble out. We, that's who we need to be. The worst thing you can be is a sad Christian all the time. Well, I had a bad bringing up. Well, you're not. You're done with that. Now, let's fall in love with Jesus again. Let's focus on Him again. I'm telling you, when you got when you got filled with the Spirit, you became a changed person like that. And then the world began to rub on you and rub on you and lie to you and talk you out of it, man. I remember the first night, I wasn't even spirit-filled, first time I ever saw someone, a miracle in my life, I saw Catherine Kuhlman take this lady up out of a wheelchair, and she had never walked before, and she walked across the stage, and I'm telling you, the place erupted. I didn't even know what I was doing, and I was erupting too, because, I mean, I saw something happen. And I told everybody that I knew what I saw, because I saw it with my own eyes. And I looked at my dad, and I, said, I told my dad, and he said, oh, they just paid her to get up. And I said, you have no idea. You were not there. I was there. I saw it. And my dad didn't like to be told he was wrong, but he got told that night. You're wrong. Here's what Jesus said in John 10, 10. I've come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I like the Amplified Version. It says, I came that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Is that the life we're living? If it's not, it's because we are not drawing near to Him. It's because we've lost focus of what's important. Jesus is the single thing. You and I ought to be so in love with Him that we just almost can't stand it every day. And He just fills us up and fills us up. I believe that's what God wants to do in the church, not just in 2023, but till Jesus comes back. That's what God wants to do in this room, in our hearts, in our lives. Man, he wants us, He wants us to have this life that overflows. I mean, even in Psalm 23, it says, My cup overflows. We need to be overflowing. We ought to be spilling onto somebody else. Things ought to happen. Jesus intends for our lives to effervesce with His presence. Amen. That was great. Here's the problem. For some reason, we've taught people it's okay to receive Jesus without creating a special love for Him. Bless you, brother. You just got saved. Hallelujah. Now read your Bible every day. Start with John. Read that one. Come back next week. I'm not coming back next week if they tell me that. Our lives ought to overflow. We ought to have so much joy that we almost can't stand ourselves. Because we effervesce. We have people in our churches today that are saved, but they're not hungry for God. They're not thirsty for Jesus. 
Because it's serious to be a Christian. It is serious. It's very serious. There's a difference of heaven and hell. But the joy of the Lord is my strength, and it's with joy that I draw water from the wells of salvation. And we need to, Jesus said, that your joy may be full. I'm telling you this, so your joy may be full. We ought to have joy. We ought to have joy. I tell you, we wouldn't, we, we probably wouldn't be as sick as we are if we had more joy. Physicians will tell you that. The happy, happy people are healthier people. I mean, the joy of the Lord, it brings us strength. We understand that a merry heart, it, it, it's good like a medicine. We need to learn, we need to fall in love with Him again. Fall in love with Him again. Fall in love with Him again. Yeah, but my back hurts. Fall in love with Him again. Fall in love with Jesus one more time. Fall in love with Him. I mean, we need not to be those lukewarm Christians. We need to be hot or cold. I mean, there needs to be this continuous interchange of love between us and God. And it brings this vibrancy. And that ought to be the throbbing heart of Christianity, being in love with Him. Doesn't it make you just want to go and hug Him and just love on Him and just spend some time with Him? Just the joy of God. Man. Unfortunately, Laodicea is where much of the church is today. I mean, we've tried to, we've, we've tried to imitate it. We've tried to, to put some smoke and some lights that are flashing and act like we're at a mosh pit or something. No, this thing is not that. This thing is having a relationship with Him that brings joy continuously in our lives. And I like what this passage does. It, it, it gives us kind of a road map of how to get that joy in our lives. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to pour out new wine. He's not going to pour it out in an old wine vessel of the charismatic renewal. It's got to be a new wineskin. What God wants to do is going to be different than the charismatic renewal. It's going to be different than anything you and I have ever seen before. I mean, it's just going to be different. It's kind of like Christmas. When the first Christmas came, everybody missed it because it didn't come like they thought it should come. When the charismatic renewal came, most of the church missed it because they thought it was irreverent. I believe God's going to do something. It's going to be so amazing and we're going to be in the middle of it because we're going to fall in love with Jesus. And when Jesus is in the middle of it, we, anything, we'll be ready for anything. Mm -hmm. Oh man. Have you ever gotten drunk in the Spirit? Ever been to a service where somebody got drunk in the Spirit? We, we had a church one time, this guy would get drunk in the Spirit every now and then and his legs would not work. <laughs> and he had to scoot on the floor to get to his car after church because his legs didn't work. <laughs> But he was laughing and praising God the whole way. And his wife said, he'll be okay tomorrow morning. I guess he had to sleep it off. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's no, there's no, there's nothing like, like being in the presence of God and the joy drop on you. But you got to get there. You got to get there. So this is kind of like a road map. It's going to these new, new wine and these old, and these old wines in, in, in new wineskins. So let's get away from the... Let's do, we don't have to be like the charismatic renewal anymore. Don't have to do that. Don't have to do that at all. We don't have to be like anybody but us. And we're going to fall in love with Jesus. First thing that has to happen is, is Jesus was called to the wedding. He was invited. He was personally invited. The word called means to, it means to call, call out loud. Jesus has to be invited. Here's the first, 
I don't believe in formulas a whole lot, but from this passage, the first thing that happens is we're going to have to have some kind of seeking God on a regular basis. I mean, just inviting Him, inviting Him, inviting Him. I don't know how you pray. Jesus said, when you pray, say, and He told us some things to say. But I often call on the names of the Lord because the name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. And I get it. I start, I start, I start praising Jehovah Shammah and I get excited because it, that means the Lord who is there. And I realize He is right there. And I mean, if He's right there, I don't have any problems because He's right there. We need to, we need to start inviting Him. Come, come see us. Come be with us. Come be a part of my day. Be with me all day. I mean, just start calling out, inviting him. Just invite him. I mean, many people, they invite Jesus into their heart when they get saved. They invite the Holy Spirit to come when they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. But that's the last invitation they give him. We need to be inviting him every day. Every day. I invite you, Holy Spirit, fill me again. Fill me. I leaked yesterday. Fill me up today. I want to be filled. You see, we need to fall in love with Him. We need to be inviting Him all the time. I mean, man, we've gained this right to enter in His presence by faith in the blood, and we can have an interaction with Him and be, and be with Him. A.W. Tozer said, To have found God and still pursue Him is the soul's paradox of love. We found Him, but we're still looking for Him. We still want more of Him. We've got to become like the psalmist who said, As the heart or the deer panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? Would we rather watch Bonanza? No, I think we'd rather have him. I think we'd rather have him. We need to, we need to be hungry. Hungry. First thing is we have to invite him. Second thing, there has to be some kind of intimacy between me and God. In other words, I've got to know him, and he's got to know me. Jesus gets to this wedding. They're out of wine. Where do you think Jesus was before he got to the wedding, by the way? When do you think the last time Mama Mary saw him? The last time she saw him, he was leaving home to go get baptized by John in the river. So the last time she saw him, he was. she knew who he was. I mean... She was there when he was born. She knew he was born of a virgin. She knew all the things. She knew what the Lord said to her. But the last time she saw Jesus, he was going to get baptized of John in the river. What happened there? He went down in the water and the Spirit came on him and didn't leave him. He left there and he went with the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. Then he picks up a couple of disciples. So the last time she saw him, he was different than he is this time. Now he has disciples and he is baptized in the Holy Ghost. She had a relationship with him. She knew something was different about Jesus. And when Jesus walked in the place, I'm thinking she goes, now it happens. Now is the time. Because son, you are different than I've ever known you to be before in my life. Because she was intimate in the sense that a mama knows her son. And she said, there is something different about you. Something has happened to you and I know what you're called to do. I know what God said about you and I know that it's starting today. Because she just knew. 
she was intimate enough with him to know that. I mean, he, he gets there, and, and she says, son, they don't have any wine. And I love this. My hour has not yet arrived. I'm thinking this. She's got a smile on her face, and he's got a smile on his face. And she says, hey, they have no wine. And he's like, what does that have to do with me? And she's like, you know what that has to do with you. I know what it has to do with you. And he's like, I know you know. And she says, I know you know I know. So let's do something about it. Because she knows who he is. She's intimate with him. And when she sees him, she knows it's time. And I believe, folks, that when we get intimate with God, he's going to tell us the season, the time. He's going to show us things because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He shows us things. He reveals things to us. And then we're going to know it's time. It's now's the time. And I love it. She didn't even say anything to him after that. She just says, whatever he says to do, do that. And I mean, those people, and Jesus didn't even talk to her again. He says, fill the water pots with water. Now, Jesus only does what he sees the Father do. But I'm telling you, I believe the Father told him before he got there what he was supposed to do. I believe that's why he said, why are you asking me this? Why do you want me to do this? He already knew. He knew it was time. He knew it. And so he, he, just, he just turned that bland water into something that effervesced, just like he wants to do in our lives. We need to be so familiar with him. We need to be so intimate with him that our lives change because of that. I read, I read one time about it in, in, a, in, a, in the University of Northern Iowa. There was a, there was a professor, there was a course that was, that was an art course, and so this professor gave his class an unusual assignment. He, gave, he, he had a bag, and he told everybody to reach in the bag and take one out. Well, every bag, in the bag was just a bag of lemons, and every student took a lemon out of the bag. And they all had their lemon, and they were looking at their lemon, and he said, here's what I need you to do for the next week. Before we meet again, I need you to keep the lemon with you all the time. 24 hours a day, I want you to keep your lemon. I want you to smell it. I want you to hold it. I want you to look at it. But I want you to keep your lemon for 20, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, till we meet back here in seven days. Keep your lemon. So those students, everybody took their lemon. They're like, this is crazy, but they took their lemon. The next week, they came back to class, and the professor has the bag still. And he says, okay, everybody, put your lemon back in the bag. So everybody had to put their lemon back in the bag. And then he pours them out on the table. And he says, okay, come and find your lemon. Every student found their lemon because they became familiar with their lemon. They knew what their lemon looked like. They understood what their lemon looked like. And so they could grab their own lemon. If we will spend 24 hours a day with Jesus, I'm telling you, we will recognize him when we see him. We'll know his voice when he speaks to us. We will do what he tells us to do. We need to understand that there's a difference between familiarity and intimacy. We need to become intimate with Jesus. I mean, it's one thing to be familiar with something. It's a whole thing to be intimate with it. If your marriage only has familiarity, and all marriages do, you're in trouble. You've got to have intimacy. Intimacy is something we work for, something we do, something that, that we do on purpose. And so we need to be intimate with Him on purpose, on purpose, becoming intimate, because then we can find something deeper than we've ever been around. We need to be people who are familiar and intimate. I know lots of Christians who are familiar with the church, familiar with the Bible, familiar with stories about Jesus, but many are not intimate with Him. And that's what I'm calling us to, to a place of intimacy, to loving Him. The Scripture says in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy paths. And interestingly enough, the word acknowledge means to recognize or know. In all your ways, recognize Him. 
what happens? Now he can direct your path. Find where he is. Find what he's doing. Recognize him. And now he directs your path. And when you know him, man, whatever he says, you know it's the right thing to do. We need to be hungry for him. Hungry for him. One more thing I want to say. Then Jesus, he tells them to fill up the pots with water. Notice what they did? Now think about it. They didn't have a faucet. They didn't have a way. They had to carry water in another container and pour it in there. I mean, these things are like 20 to 30 gallons each. And they're pouring water in each of these things. This is what the servants are doing. And, and, and the Bible says, now Jesus didn't tell me this. It says they filled it to the brim. I mean, they didn't halfway do it. They did it. As they put as much water in those pots as they could. The last point is urgency, which literally means surrender. We need to be surrendered to him, urgent for him. I mean, Jesus isn't our Savior only. He is our Lord. And if he says do it, we need to do it with everything that we have. I mean, we got, we got to do it. They filled these up to the brim. There was no place for anything else to fit. We must come to this place that we have total surrender to him. We need to invite him. We need to be intimate with him, get to know him. We need to be urgent in our surrender to him. We, we, we recognize that we're not going to play around. This is going to be for real. We've got to become like the Apostle Paul. Philippians 3 verse 8 says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, everything else is worthless compared to knowing him. Everything. He said, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Do you not think that Paul had won Christ? Yeah, he had. But he wanted to win some more. He wanted more of Jesus. He wanted more than he'd ever had before. He said everything else is refuse compared to Jesus. No matter what it is, Jesus has to be everything. He said, I want to know him. I want to be intimate with him. I want, I want to know him. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but one thing, forgetting those things which are behind. I mean, forgetting that. Reaching forth to those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He was pressing for more of Jesus. The man wrote most of the Bible, and he still wanted more of Jesus. More of Jesus. We will never get all that we can get. But the fun of being a Christian is trying to get more than we can get. Mm-hmm. Trying to get it all. Trying to know Him. Trying to know Him. I'm not, trying, I'm not I'm talking about theology here. I'm talking about relationship with Him. Effervescing. Flowing over. Letting God move in so that we now can let Him flow out of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, that you want to turn mundane lives into effervescent, vivacious lives. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to follow you. We want to be your people. We understand, Lord, you've already called us. You've already separated us. You've already called us your own. But Lord, tonight we're saying we want to be full, to be filled again with, what, with who you are, with what you do. Father, I thank you. I believe your word transforms us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.